0: Ayer's on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer.
1: Hey, hey, I've got to thank BYU Radio for a chance to get together with you today, honey, because we're about 3,200 miles apart.
0: We are. I'm in an exciting place. I am in Boston at the Boston Public Library, right across the street from the site of the Boston Bombing. Um, now that's a hard one to explain but we I have a darling granddaughter who's going to be um, presenting a concert with a choir the Boston Children's choir um, over at Boston University in about an hour and um, so we came for lunch and we just happened to be right across the street from the Boston City Library so where are you
1: well as you know I'm in Palm Springs with most all of my sons, most all of our sons and son-in-laws having a, I don't know, should I tell the real name, Linda? Should I, should I divulge the secret name of our society?
0: Sure. Nobody will remember father, it anyway.
1: The fathers and future fathers of higher realm. There's 10 That's of dead. us all together. And only only two of them are future fathers. The other eight of us are already fathers. And so... We get together maybe once a year, and I have to give you credit, Linda, because Linda started doing this with her daughters many years ago, daughters and daughters-in-law, and the whole idea was just to get together and talk about, how do you be a better mom? How do you, what perspective, how do you conceptualize motherhood? How do you, what are the ideas that work, just a sharing, brainstorming kind of thing, And, and In order to not be thought of as a total slug, I thought, well, I better do the same thing with my boys. The difference is, Linda gets together and has an agenda and really covers a lot of stuff. I just get the boys together, and we basically, the reason we're in Palm Springs is there's a tennis tournament here, and they all like tennis, and so we go play tennis in the day, and I don't mean to make this sound like a big deal. We're just going to be here for three days, but we play tennis during the day, and then we watch tennis mostly during the evenings at this tournament, and boy, oh boy, it's a lot of fun. I get more insight about how they're doing in every way, from financially to their parenting to how their marriages are going along to just how their personalities are evolving. I just get a lot of, I don't know, Linda, you just can't, I mean, there's something about it, being with them and without their wives and their kids for just, couple of days, you really get a lot of insights, and I'm sure you feel the same way when you're together with your daughters.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's just one of our funnest things to do, most fun things to do, Um, but I have to say that you can't get together without some kind of agenda. I saw those pieces of paper that said strategy at the top and the schedule for the thing. You you do (laughs) your fair share, too.
1: Well, here's how I lure them into it. I we we did see we have a theme and the theme is strategy and the three strategies that are listed are investment strategy marriage strategy and parenting strategy and and they they, they get they get pretty into the first one because you know they want to know anything that they can learn from each other a couple of them know a whole lot more than i do about investment strategy but then i just try to roll it over a little and say well you know that's important, but it's not near as important as your marriage and your parenting. So I I don't really preach to them, but I kind of do, you know? I kind of do.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't help yourself. Little, but I do have little. to say that what's fascinating is as these these kids come in, and I call them kids just because they're so much younger, but we are uh, into the family, they they bring with them so much richness, so much. I mean, I don't mean financial. Well, sometimes, but. Um, you it, mean the in-law,
1: kid, the in-law kids, yeah.
0: Right. Uh, The in-law kids that are, you know, not part of our family that come from a different background, different baggage and all that, they just bring so much good to our family. And our most recent in-law is one of the ones that knows a lot more about finance than any of us because he just graduated from um, Stanford with a PhD in economics and uh, with an emphasis on business. So, Wow,
1: the guy is really smart and has crazy I think, I think can... he, li- he listens to any thoughts I have on finance or investment and just kind of smiles like, "What a Neanderthal!" <laughs> 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 but, but I do want to say, I want to say quickly that this is, um, you know, I don't want any listeners to hear, "Oh, Linda's in Boston, Richards in Palm Springs, they're just spending money and so on." It isn't like that at all. In fact. Um, you know, this getting together with, with sons for, you know, for, with grown sons or with grown daughters can be done on any budget. I mean, you can go camping, you could go on a hike, you could do all kinds of things, but in our case, I, I, you know, our kids are old enough now that we expect them to, to, um, you know, pay some of the bills. And so they all got themselves here. I found a little simple place we could rent for a couple of days, but they had to get their own airfares to get here. And we're kind of sharing the food costs and so on. And it's, it's a good thing because you want them to have a little skin in the game. You don't want to just say, Hey, I'm paying for another vacation for you. The biggest problem we've talked about so many times on the show, this entitlement attitude, and even parents who are really careful about it, Um, You know, if you're not not extra careful, that entitlement thing that some of us had a problem with with kids growing up in our home carries over into the empty nest parenting years. And that's what we're really, that's our theme for the show today is empty nest parenting. And one of the things I want to say right from the outset, in some ways, it's grossly different from parenting kids who still live at home. But in other ways, it's exactly the same. And one of the ways that it's the same is you don't want to give them an entitlement attitude. And oftentimes, you give them more by giving them less. I guess is the best way to say it.
0: Well, there are so many caveats and it's such a fine line when you talk about financial stuff, especially because some of our kids can certainly afford to pay everything, and other others are paupers. I mean, right, right. And the, and the women are more much more conservative, I think, in general than the guys. And some of them, if you think you have so, yeah? your own way, sure. buy your food, they wouldn't come. Yeah, I do think so. You think about it. They really are. I mean, not always. We've got a couple of kids that are very unique and nobody's like them, but um, it really is. I mean, we've got some that are newly married and they, you know, they can't afford it, so we help them a little bit. But what you said just reminds me of the funny lunch that we had on a cruise recently with um man who was so generous and such a good guy. He brought a couple of couples with him and paid for their way because he's just so generous and they couldn't afford it and it was so great. But then we went to lunch with him to talk about financial matters and he was, it blew, blew our minds. I mean, it took our breath away. He said, you know, I'm just trying to figure out, I'm just trying to figure out. What to do when these kids turn 35? Should I give them 300000 or 500000 Well, I, do I mean, it wasn't I do.
1: And, and even separate and apart from the amounts, the thing that really he was a prototypical sort of extreme example of something we should all be so careful not to do. And that is he was using money to manipulate his kids. You know, he was saying, if you do this, well, you I- get this amount of money. And these are grown kids. I mean, it was really a scary thing to me.
0: Well, and I think he did it with a good heart. He was thinking that, I mean, sometimes we do that with little kids, but once they've left home, it's a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah. In well, his it, case, well, was he just like had you, a lot of money. He didn't know what to do with it,
1: you know? Yeah, he well, from, give it, away. Yeah. it was like, if you want any money from me, give it away. It was like, if you want any money from me, you have to be sure you're going to church or whatever. I mean, it was like, uh, it was it was a, a manipulation. And so what you want to do instead, obviously, with, with grown children as an empty nest parent is figure out ways to turn them into your peers and your friends rather than your dependents on an ongoing basis. And that's a complicated thing, but it really works. In fact, you know, one of the things that happened today I wanted to mention before I forgot about it, we all got up this morning and the tennis doesn't start for a little while, and so they were trying to decide whether to go to brunch or to go play tennis first, and we got in a little discussion of um, a recent David Brooks article, and then I'll just mention what it was, and I'll tell you a really interesting comment one of them made. This is a New York Times columnist, one of our favorites, David Brooks, and he recently wrote um, a column that, that essentially points out that and some of these figures are so shocking. Among college-educated parents, 10% of kids grew up in a single-parent home. Among high school-educated parents who don't go to college, 70% of kids in America grew up in a single-parent home. Now, let me quickly add, we love, I mean, single parents are some of the heroes of our society, and some of them are brilliant in their parenting. But as a statistical number, that's pretty shocking because what, what it yeah. basically says is that high school educated people, lower educated kids don't value families. They don't value commitment. They don't get married. They don't stay married. And it's a very, very disturbing thing. But one of our boys, one of the younger ones actually said he'd heard a quote and he brought it up and it led to quite a discussion. He said, uh, let me see if I can get it right. The most important thing is to remember so that the most important thing is the most important thing. The most important thing is to remember that the most important thing is the most important thing. <laughs> so, and, of course, that oh, thing is that's fa- not too families, hard to remember. Families, families and relationships. And I thought, yep, we can all remember that. We're all going to be just fine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It really is pretty amazing. And and sometimes the family is the most important thing, gets misconstrued, especially when kids leave our nest and need help, whether it's financially or emotionally. Of course, we want to give them all the help we can. But there's there's a way, as you mentioned earlier, to do it right. And then there's a way to entitle them and they can feel like we still owe them. And when actually, when they leave home, they leave home. I mean, even if they've come back. They have to be. They have to be independent and can't depend on you. So, and of course, there are exceptions. There are always exceptions. But it really is interesting that as empty nest parents, we're kind of in a void. There's not much direction.
1: Yeah, that's re- that's for sure. And um, I think one of the themes we want to get to before we take a break here in just a couple of minutes is that. Uh, the reason I'm u- using this word strategy as the theme for our little meeting here with my grown sons, so, well, two reasons, I guess, number one, it's just an interesting word and it kind of draws people into to a discussion, but, but the conclusion we're trying, one of the conclusions we're trying to come to is that um, the important thing is that you have a strategy, there are a lot of good strategies. There isn't one good strategy for investing, for example. There isn't one good strategy for marriage. There isn't one good strategy for, for parenting. But one of the things we were talking about this morning is that the important thing, the difference is not really between, is this a better strategy than this one? The difference is between having a strategy and not having a strategy. And you know, so yeah. one of the questions we asked is, do do all of you feel like you have an investment strategy? And most of them said, no, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'd am i like to, but I don't know enough and I don't have enough money to invest anyway and so on. And then we said, well, do, do you have a parenting strategy? And they were like, maybe not. I mean, we're, we, we have some things we're trying to do, but is it really a strategy? And, and I think that applies to empty nest parenting too, Linda. I think our observation is that uh, you know, grandparents and, and couples that have kids that have left home, there isn't one good strategy. But those who have a strategy, who sort of thought it through and decided how they're going to handle the money situation, how they're going to handle this, how they're going to handle that, they seem to be doing pretty well, even if their strategies are very different. The ones who are struggling are the ones who have no, no strategy at all. They're just sort of yeah. taking it a day at a time and trying to figure it out as they go along. Right.
0: Totally agree, and so we're going to talk about some of those strategies when we come back after this little break. See you soon. Ayer's on the Road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer.
1: Well, so we're, we're back. back. We're back from California and Boston Clear across the country, missing each other, but getting together on the radio with all you loyal listeners.
0: And we've been talking about empty nest parenting, and we ended by talking about strategy, having a strategy with your kids once they leave home. This is the way it's going to work, whether it's you're going to help them with a down payment on a house or whether you're going to help them with music lessons. And the reason I think about that is because I am with a daughter in Boston, and we are going to a concert in um, 45 minutes, and she, this little granddaughter is singing in the Boston Children's Choir, which is not cheap, and um, there are also music lessons going on in this house, cello lessons, piano lessons, uh, flute lessons, there are lots of things going on, which are such good things, and, but this family is, you know, they, you know, the husband has a great job and everything's fine, but it's just hard, and I think I, I let the kids know that if we if they did some really worthy things like music lessons or camps or things that they really wanted to do that was for their ed- education and their betterment that they could write a little proposal, a grant proposal, and that we would consider paying half for those kinds of things, and especially for parents that can't afford it. so um, we I mean, we actually, we got a letter this week, which I'm sure you'll agree, Richard, is one of the most delightful letters we've ever gotten, and this is what it said. It was from a, a little granddaughter who's 13 years old who lives in Gilbert, Arizona. She's visiting her cousin in Maui, in Hawaii, and uh, she's gone there for a week, but this little cousin in Hawaii is the master of money. She knows how to earn money, spend money, give money. Uh, save money. She's amazing. She's been taught well by her parents. And so now that these two cousins are together in Hawaii, this, the daughter from Gilbert, the granddaughter, wanted to pay for her ticket. Her parents were saying, you've got to do something to pay for your ticket. So she wrote a grant proposal to us. And it was, don't you think it was the cutest thing you've ever read?
1: Yeah. And I, so, so are you going to read little parts of it? I don't have it with me. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I, I can, I can, Fill in then I, but but putting it again in context, that this may sound a little foreign to some listeners, but the idea being that you may have some grandkids whose parents maybe aren't able to afford certain things, and maybe you can't afford a lot, but maybe you you want to help out in little ways, and so well, the and, idea is. But let, let me say
0: that even. And- yeah. Even if if they can't afford it, the kids are required to to earn their own money. If they want to go to tennis camp, if they want to go to baseball camp or whatever, the parents are not just handing money over. So they have taught their kids, this is what you do, write a proposal to your grandfather and um, they will decide whether or not they can pay half of this because it's good for kids to feel a responsibility for earning money for things they want to do.
1: Yeah, but I just wanted to put it in context that it's not a lot of money, and it's not like it's not like old money bags, grandpa and grandma can help because actually a lot of grandparents make the mistake of giving too much to kids, and and that shouldn't happen anyway. But the idea of a writing a grant proposal may sound a little foreign, but think how interesting that is when a when a kid, a young kid like the one we're using as, as an example, says, "Well, I have a need. I'm I want. I can earn." if I can earn half the money to go to this camp or to go on this trip or to go to this class or to have this music lesson or whatever, if I can earn half of it and I can write this proposal, then I can maybe get it matched. And think what a valuable skill that is anyway in the world. I mean, that's how you get scholarships, that's how you do all kinds of things. But this letter was so cute because basically this little 13-year-old was saying, Here's why it would be a learning experience. Here's here's what I would gain from it. Here's how I would, you know, deepen my relationship with my cousin. And I've worked hard and I've earned this much money. And if you could match it, it'd be wonderful. It was like three pages. And we thought they'd maybe worked on it together. These two cousins who wanted this trip to happen. And it was just delightful the initiative they were taking. And that do you think that word is the key? Linda, you want? you want whether it's your children or your grandchildren if you're an empty nest parent you want to see that initiative being taken by them and there should be kind of a reward for that now let me just back up for a minute though to put this in context we're talking about empty nest parenting today and a lot of a lot of people i think particularly women when they hear the term empty nest they think of emptiness syndrome they think about how hard it is Emotionally, when your children leave home and you, you no longer have them and you no longer have that emotional connection every day with kids living under your own roof. But we're talking about something a little more than that. We're talking about how to have a strategy for that emptiness parenting. And this, if you're listening today and you're not an emptiness parent or you're, you're just a young parent yourself, then think of what we're saying in the context of what your relationship is with your parents and what their relationship is with your children or their grandchildren. Because, you know, we like to define families not just as parents and kids living in a house. Family is clearly more than that. It includes grandparents. It's at least three generations. And having some discussion and some strategies about how those three generations relate to each other is really a powerful thing.
0: I totally agree with that, and I think um, sometimes we just haven't thought ahead. I mean, just off the cuff, all of a sudden, a child or a grandchild is desperate for some something that he wants to do or some money, um, like this little granddaughter, and if we haven't set it up and said, this is what you do, this is how you do it, then, you know, sometimes it, it seems like it's not fair, and, and actually, it isn't totally fair. <laughs> it's fair according to their circumstances. So I did find this letter, I have my computer right here, I just have to read just a little bit from this granddaughter who was was writing a grant and um, let me just tell you what she did. She said, on Friday we worked for this man that her cousin knows. We helped him shop at Costco because he had an injured leg and that took about two hours and then we went to help out at a preschool that he and his wife own. In total we worked four hours and we made $10 each. Um, I mean, each hour. I learned that to make a lot of money, I have to um, work as hard as I can and focus on my job that I'm doing. I also learned there are lots of good people that I can work for. I just have to ask. And then she goes on and on and on about she spent seven hours total doing a garage sale because the parents here are moving. And that's a long story, but they were having a garage sale. So they got it all ready. But then she said, so we earned $300, but then we had to pay back. Uh, the parents and as parents for the things that they needed money for. So it was a good learning experience because I learned about percentages and giving portions of the earning to people that helped out and made it possible. Another important thing I learned is that if I price things cheap and I tell them my cause, people will want to buy more. Now, don't you think that's about as good Maybe as it a little bit may
1: we a raising a lot of little sort of budding, money-grabbing entrepreneurs, but... That's certainly better than the alternative.
0: Well, the alternative, just hand them money for a plane ticket. I mean, she's trying to earn money for her plane ticket to Hawaii. And I just think it's just awesome because there was a strategy set, and Anna, the cousin, had already experienced this uh, grant proposal writing. (laughs) She had a grant proposal last summer for tennis tennis camp at BYU, and she did the same thing, and she killed herself and earned half that money. And, you know, if it's possible, I mean, sometimes it's not possible for grandparents to do this, but usually it is, but often grandparents ruin everything by just handing over money to kids when they need it because we have it, and, you know, we want them to be happy. But it really is important as we think about emptiness parenting to have a strategy, not just with our kids, but also with the grandkids.
1: Right. And and again, just to be sure that this show doesn't get oriented entirely to the money or financial aspects of it, I think what we're saying on a broader level is think of your own family and whether you're the grandparent or the parent or whether you're one of the kids for that matter, think how important it is that those three generations communicate with each other and have similar objectives and strategies so that everything works together so that what the grandparents are doing is not working against something that the parents are trying to teach or whatever and having that kind of communication i often think one of the one of the little things that could happen more often than it does linda is just parents and grandparents without the kids going to dinner once a month or once every couple of months and, and just talking about those kids, the grandkids, or the children in the case of the parents. How, how are they doing? What can we do to help? How can we work together as a team? Are there some problems we can address with those children and so on? And, you know, a lot of times that will lead to a discussion of your own relationship, like grandparents with the parents. Uh, you know, yeah. how are we, yeah, are we communicating well enough? Are we, are we Do we think of our family as a big tent that involves, you know, all of us, uh, not just those of us that live in our own little pigeonholed houses and, and never communicate uh, very much with each other? Now, sometimes distance is a problem, but luckily we live in this connected world where, you know, one thing we're doing every month now, and we try to do it on the 1st, Sunday evening of each month is we have a Google Plus family home evening. And they we talked a little about this last week on the show, but that is so much fun. And you can have right on your screen little boxes with all of your children and your grandchildren in them. And the one that talks gets to be a bigger box and you hear them. And it's just like in, in some ways, I'll be honest, it's better than sitting all together in the same room in a meeting because... There's less chaos and in a way you have more control. (laughs) I
0: think that was pretty chaotic. (laughs) But I do also think that, uh, you know, because you're talking about the big tent, uh, we have a lot of grandchildren and uh, to have a personal relationship with each of them is really hard. You have to concentrate on it. So whenever I am alone and today I just had lunch with two little ones who were five and eight and we got in the most fun discussion. But I had some questions ready for them like, what is your favorite book? What was your favorite movie? Why did you like it? What are you afraid of? What do you worry about? You know, those kinds of things. It was the most fascinating lunch discussion and I took some notes so I could remember and then the next time we'll compare. And it really is so good to have a strategy to really stay in touch with your extended family as you empty nest parent.
1: And with that, we're out of time. The time flies when you're having fun, but we sure appreciate you listeners joining us each week for Eyes on the Road, and we'll see you next time.
0: Bye-bye from Boston.